Sounds from the Shadows, the podcast where the Shadow Girls talk about fairy tales, folklore and just weird stories. I am Emily Collins and today I am joined by Shanon Mulan and Grania Holmes Blumenthal. Yeah. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about a staple of fairy tales, stepmothers. Wicked stepmothers, misunderstood stepmothers, all types of stepmothers. Mm-hmm. So most like when I first hear the word stepmother, I automatically think of Fairy tale stepmothers, Cinderella, mm. Snow White, Hansel and Gretel. Uh, what are your associations with stepmothers? I don't have an association, but I had a thought on my mm. way in that I was thinking about where all those like classic fairy tales is always about stepmothers. And I was yeah. like, why are there no stories that I can think of off the top of my head about stepfathers yeah. that are negative? Yeah. Like I was mm. like, every time it stories has a stepmother, they're normally connoted very mm. negatively. Yeah. I think that kind of goes with... Um, you know the four tropes of women mm. yeah. where it's like um, what is it the the maiden the mother the maiden the mother the, the witch the and the hag yeah yeah. I was about to curse yeah and the hag blends into the thing I like in Terry Pratchett though when they refer to it it's the maiden the mother and the other oh, <laughs> not yeah. necessarily the hag but the other one yeah and then, and, <laughs> but then further on from that like again can't think of any uh, fairy tales where the stepmother is positive yeah. I'm sure there are there some. Are, but they are the exception. Yeah. I was reading... Far away in another part of the world, yeah. they have a story about a good stepmother. I was, um, I was reading Marina Warren uh, in her book, uh, From the Beast to the Blonde, which is all about fairy tales, and particularly about women's roles in fairy tales, both in the creating of them and then their roles within the stories. And she has two chapters on stepmothers, one on the idea of the absent mother, and then one on the wicked stepmother. And it's quite interesting what she says because it's about a lot of it is about toxic femininity, this idea mm-hmm. that a patriarchal system puts women against each other, because the only power a woman would have in that time would be being in the home, yeah. she could rule over her kitchen, and the idea that someone else could come in and usurp you, that was quite a fear. So often you would have these stories as the stepmother is evil, almost to prime the children for, if I lose my position of power you have to take out my rival Mm. i suppose it's always the stepmother in contrast to this kind of like angelic figure of um the biological mother or the original Mm -hmm. wife or um, this sort of pinnacle that can never quite be lived up to Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there's also the idea of when the stepmother when the second wife stepmother has her own children there's it's a fight for resources Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a fight to make sure that your offspring gets fed or gets inheritance or so on because it was quite often Men were remarrying rather than women remarrying, yeah. which is why we get more stepmothers. Of course, like women dying in childbirth, um, it would have been quite a common thing. Yeah, I, mm. I can't remember what the stats were, but I think it was something like you had like a one in ten chance of dying in the childbirth itself, mm. Mm. and then a huge higher thing of complications after childbirth. Mm. As, yeah, because anything that would have been kind of considered like a difficult birth, so if there was like a retained placenta or. Um, kind of breach hemorrhage birth. breach birth um breach birth you'd likely lose the child and the mother um even just a misplacement of the yeah. actual child as well yeah, and this is yeah. like in the wrong position it's like oh you're doomed yeah, it and it's so risky yeah. pre-ultrasound pre-contraceptive not contraceptive that would stop the whole baby thing i meant antibiotic <laughs> i don't know how i said contraceptive instead of antibiotic well it was mostly pre-contraceptive as yeah, well it was or at least ones you'd be that would be safe to I don't use. know why it's mm. kind of a vinegar mor- I find it morbidly funny just the idea like uh, a doctor from like medieval times like the delivering a baby and they realise the baby's coming out at a slight angle and it's like sorry you're doomed yeah. you're going to die mm. in like 10 minutes well it often wasn't doctors it was midwives midwives mm. yeah they were, they were untrained but that's actually where the word gossip comes from really? yeah ah. from uh, the good wife there's the sort of godparent oh, yeah. uh, so- woman who would come around when you, you were having your baby and just after your baby and it was a woman-only space. Men didn't come in, and so, so they'd be, you know, chatting away. And of course, t- the midwife would know everything going on in the village yeah. because she mm. knows she who was everything. having children. She'd be in and out of people's houses. Yeah, so that's where the word gossip comes from. Yes, another interesting thing uh, that I read in Marina Warren's book uh, was about the correlation between stepmother and mother-in-law, mm. because it is this sort of this battle of who is who's ruling the domestic sphere. And in the fairy tale I've selected, it's a mother-in-law stepmother. Who, yeah, oh. I'll tell you about it in a minute. Mm-hmm. But we've, we've each selected a fairy tale involving a stepmother. We're going to tell them, we're going to discuss them, 
So who'd like to go first? Not me, because it's my first try. Mm. We, should, um, we, should, we should work okay. this out earlier. Um, I'll go first. Yeah. Um, I have the goriest one. Ooh. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, so this story um, is originally a Grimm's fairy tale. It's one of the lesser known ones, though, and it's called The Juniper Tree. It's Neil Gaiman's favourite, actually. Oh, he said it in a talk is. that it was his favourite of the Grimm's fairy tales. Oh, I, I, I can really weird. see that actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so once there lived a man and a wife, and they lived in a great orchard. Now the orchard was their pride and joy, and in the middle of this orchard, there was a juniper. Every day, the wife would sit beneath the juniper tree peel an apple, and dream about the day she would have a son or daughter of her own. But alas, that day was awaited and awaited, but never came. And so one day, sitting beneath the juniper tree, the wife peeled her apple and the knife just nicked her thumb and a single drop of blood fell to the roots of the tree. And as she saw the blood going into the roots, she wished for a child with cheeks as red as the blood that had just fallen. And lo and behold, not long after, she found herself expecting a baby. But alas, as the pregnancy grew and grew, she became weaker and weaker. And on the day she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy with cheeks as red as blood, she died with him in her arms. The husband was distraught. He loved his wife so much, but of course he couldn't run the orchard on his own and he needed someone to run the house. And so he remarried. But as kind and as gentle as his first wife had been. His second wife was cruel and nasty. But one day, as her husband was out working in the orchard, she decided she was going to do something about this other child in the house. This stepson that was in the way of her daughters inheriting everything that her husband owned. And so, she called her stepson down into a dark cellar in which there were barrels and barrels of apples. As she called to him, she asked him to look into the barrel and to pick the juiciest apples from the bottom. But as her stepson leaned over, she slammed the lid down of the barrel, taking his head off with it. <laughs> To cover up what she had done, she quickly grabbed the head and bandaged it back to his body, carried him upstairs and sat him at the kitchen table. She then called to her own daughter and asked her to ask her stepbrother to help her in the garden. But as the daughter called to her brother, he didn't answer. And so she called again, and still he didn't answer. And so she went up to him and shook him. And lo and behold, off rolled his head. The stepdaughter, distraught at what she thought she had done, ran up to her room and cried and cried and cried. For though her mother was cruel, she loved her brother. But the stepmother walked up to her daughter's room and said, don't worry, we'll cover up this grievous, horrible thing that you have done. We'll cook your brother into the stew we're preparing for this evening to cover up his body and say he ran off with the circus. And so that's what the stepmother did. She sliced up the brother's body and cooked him into a stew, leaving only his bones. And when the husband came home, he ate the stew and proclaimed it 
delicious. <laughs> the, step, the stepsister, feeling so remorseful and guilty for what had happened, took her brother's bones and buried them beneath the juniper tree in the middle of the orchard. The next day, something quite peculiar happened. A bird had appeared in the juniper tree and sang with the sweetest voice. And as he sang, words began to form. My stepmother cut off my head, my body to my father fed. My sister lay me beneath the tree, now my soul is flying free. Now the bird flew off to the nearest town, and the first person he met was a goldsmith. And he sang his sad song to the goldsmith, and the goldsmith, so moved by the bird's words, gave him the most precious thing he had, a gold chain. Next the bird flew to a cobbler, and the cobbler, moved by the bird's words, gave the bird a fine pair of red slippers. Lastly, the bird flew to a mill, and the miller, moved by the bird's words, gave the bird the most precious thing he had, a millstone that he used to grind his corn. As the bird flew back to the orchard, the sister and the stepmother <laughs> and the father were all in the orchard. And the bird began to sing again. And as the bird sang, he gave the gold chain to the father, the red slippers to the sister, and with the millstone, dropped it from a great height, right on top of the stepmother's head, killing her instantly. <laughs> now the father was bemused and confused by this turn of events, but as he looked at the bird, the bird began to change, and a bright white light came from the bird's heart. And as the blinding light began to recede, the father saw his son before him where the bird had been. The son told the father and the stepsister what had happened. And they all lived happily ever after. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Something that... Uh, I, w I was quietly, or trying to quietly Google away. Um, <laughs> do either of you know the rejected princesses? Yes, uh, actually. Yeah. 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 Have you come across this one? I'm just showing Janon the image. What's this? Yeah. Of. Oh. <laughs> Fredegund? How would you pronounce that? I don't know what uh, that is. Fredegund? Uh, Fredegund, yes. <laughs> um, people go on your internet. Look up Fredegund, rejected princesses. She was a queen who attempted to murder her daughter in a similar manner. Uh, she told her daughter she could pick any jewel out of a chest. When her daughter bent down to look into the bottom of it, she... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, a servant came and, uh, and saved the daughter. The interesting thing there is that that's actually the mother and not the stepmother. Yeah. Because in, mm. in a lot of the originals, uh, like in the original Snow White, it's the biological mother who wants to dispose mm. of her child. Yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, decided by some people that, oh, ooh, that was just a little bit too much. Yeah, I think uh, the Brothers Grimm have a lot to answer for that way. Mm. They do. I have, a, I have a mixed relationship with the Brothers Grimm. On the one hand, they edited and they bodlerized, and I think it was particularly one of them, I think it was, was Jacob or Wilhelm, but one of them kept mm. editing and editing and making it, was, it more... Jacob was the editor. Yeah, yeah, Jacob, and he kept making it more sanitary and trying to put in his own moral views mm. uh, but on the other hand they collected all these stories and they put them down and they put them into wide circulation so mm. yeah mixed relationship with the brothers <laughs> so that's a, a lovely 
gory story about a stepmother. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it doesn't shed the stepmother in a particularly good light. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and we've, we've done it as a Shadow Puppet show before. Mm, yeah. And do you remember when the bird's neck broke? Was that for oh. that one? Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I was doing that thing I do when I laugh too hard that I'm like this tears streaming down yeah, my face we were, but we weren't allowed to be loud so I was just like yeah. silently crying yeah, we, were, we, were, we were doing it I was telling the story and the girls were behind the screen and they were manipulating the puppets and then I suddenly heard this this sort of muffled noise as they were trying to st- sing the bird's song and I sort of looked out of the corner of my eye and the poor little bird sort of to echo the fact that the boy's neck had been broken had its head at this bizarre angle oh, and they couldn't fix awful. it but it was gas though because like people after the show were it like congratulating so, us and it was saying, so much fun I just love how these strangers were like congratulating us and then our friend Charlie was like oh well done what was wrong with the bird <laughs> <laughs> nobody else questioned it it was, um, it was intentional it was an artistic decision to reflect oh, that the boy like, had had his neck why broken why laughing probably <laughs> totally not something Mary. going Terribly wrong. Yeah, it was so it was so fun. Aww. Yeah, and also kudos to Emily for the amazing singing interludes. Like, mm. yeah, well, actually, we have to credit Annie, mm. um, our friend Annie, who's also a shadow girl. You will hear at some stage. We were doing the song. We'd taken this, you know, fairly well known song, "Rose, Rose, Rose Red," uh, and Annie rewrote the words for it. Oh, I didn't know she that. She did indeed. Yeah, classic. So thanks, Annie. Hmm. <laughs> now. Uh, Will I go or will you go, Gornia? I could go. Okay. Ah! Why is this not rocking? I don't know. <laughs> Done it a billion times before. Only now I get to hear it back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to do Rapunzel. But uh, not quite like, again, not like the Disney version. <laughs> tangled. The uh, Tangled, which is yeah. excellent. Can yeah, Tangled, add? though, it's a really good representation of and a really de- a really recognisable uh, abusive mother-daughter relationship. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, the constant oh. passive aggression, the, the constant manipulation, so the good. constant put-downs. Yeah. And that, like, it's not, like, classic cruelty that you'd yeah. usually see, but it was, like, very relatable and very kind of... Um, yeah. But like, even, like, at the end of her song, I'll start my story eventually, but at the end of Mother Knows Best, where she, like... Re- puts out her arms to hug I her and they have a really you. lovely hug and I then she looks more. at her and goes I love you most what is it she says she's just like never ask to leave again and it's yeah. like ah. yeah. but then the whole like I love you I love you more that's I just like I think yeah. that exchange is really cute but like it's also horrible when you think about yeah. it in context with the rest of the film um, but that is a clock would that be heard it's ominous it may be heard <laughs> if you can't hear it there's a clock chiming in the background it's a little bit ominous will I wait till it's over yeah there's no clocks in my story. <laughs> <laughs> we could put a clock in. Once upon a time, yes. as the clock struck eight. <laughs> cool. Okay, so. There once was a very lonely couple who lived in the middle of a forest, far away from any town in any city. They had their own little farm so that they could cultivate their own food and make their own crops. Two of them were very bored, so the wife decided that let's have a child. Have a little girl run about the house, or a little boy cause a mess, as they do. <laughs> and a few months pass, and she's pregnant, and then her stomach starts to grow, and she's getting close to birth, and then she starts to have these really intense cravings. Like, really intense. Like, every day she was hungry, but nothing was satisfying her. No matter what she ate, she just would spit it back out, and she began to lose weight quite rapidly because she just wasn't eating. So the husband was freaking out. He didn't know what to do. And he decided, maybe one day I'll just go get some flowers in my body. Like, just, this will cheer her up. And he does. And he has a huge, massive bouquet. And he brings it into the house, and the wife immediately perks up. She can smell something. There's something from the bouquet that's, like, really getting at her nose. And he takes one flower at a time. He takes a rose, and she smells it, and doesn't, doesn't bother her. A daisy, nothing, a daffodil. And then he hands her a Rapunzel. And the Rapunzel, she just grabs out of his hand and bites the head off of it. And he's like, oh, okay. And this is the first time she's eaten in weeks, like, properly. And she's like, I need that more. Get me more of those. So he's like, oh, okay, I'll go find more Rapunzels, I guess. And in this particular forest, they they were far and few between. So he would find one, like, miles apart from one another. He couldn't find enough to make a substantial meal. 
So he walks out further into the forest until he eventually stumbles a cron. <laughs> a cron. He walks out further into the forest until he eventually stumbles upon a small little house that little old lady lived in called Gothel. And in her garden, she had a huge... In her garden, she had Rapunzel's everywhere. He was like, fantastic. So he climbed over her wall and would pick them in the middle of the night and then bring them back to his house. His wife would make a salad and she would gobble it up and then it'd be all gone and she'd be satisfied for the day. But then the next day, she'd be hungry again for Rapunzel's. He'd go get the Rapunzel in the middle of the night so that Gothel didn't see him. One day when she wakes up, his wife is starving, like the hungriest she's ever been. She's getting close to birth. So he, rather than waiting until the middle of the night, he thought he'd risk it and run to, the, to Gothel's house, steal some Rapunzel's. Only this time he got caught. Gothel was at her door and she saw him. And he, she screams at him. She is furious. And the husband is begging her for forgiveness. He's so sorry. He just needs to feed his wife. And there's nothing else she, he can do. Like, she just need, she needs to eat. And so Gothel says, okay, you can take as many Rapunzel's as you want on one condition. That I can have your child. <gasps> Without taking a second to think, he says, yes, of course, you can have my child. And then immediately, Gothel has a curse put upon the wife. For they don't know she's a witch. So that... By the time the wife does give birth, the child vanishes and appears in Gothel's arms. Twelve years pass. Mother and father have never seen their child since because she's in a very tall tower, even further from their house in the forest, deep in the darkest pits of the forest. And she's become really beautiful. Long blonde hair that has never been cut that hangs from the window and reaches the bottom of this tower, just trailing off the floor. And every morning, Gothel climbs down the hair, goes out to the forest, does her witchy business, and then will come back, <laughs> come back to Rapunzel, and she will stretch out her arms towards the tower and say, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down there. Mm, well, that's not the phrase. Let down Rapunzel. your hair that I may climb the golden stair. That's it. And then Gothel will go back to the tower and scream, oh, and then, <laughs> 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 um, and then Gothel will come back to the tower and say Rapunzel Rapunzel let down your hair so that I may climb thy golden stairs and she would do so she would drop her hair and Gothel would climb up and they would carry on with their day and this went on for a few years until she was 18 little did Gothel know that a prince would ride past the tower every once in a while he didn't really take any notice of the tower at first. Till one day, he heard a slight little humming coming from the castle. He could hear Rapunzel singing. And he was like, oh, interesting, what's that? And he would carry on. And every time after that he started passing the tower, he'd take more and more notice of it. He figured there must be a beautiful woman in there. And so he would like kind of pay more close attention and he started to see Gothel saying this phrase and this hair would fall down. She would climb up and he was like, aha, I shall do that. So the next day, with his horse, he waited by the castle. He saw Gothel go up, and then many hours later, saw Gothel go down, and then she went into the forest. And he used that as his cue to go to the tower. And he said, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down thy hair so that I may climb thy golden stairs. Because he never, he didn't know what was going to happen. And then the hair fell down, as it always did, and he climbed up, and he wasn't expecting to see quite as beautiful a girl as he did. And he immediately fell in love. He's like, Rapunzel, I will get you out of this tower. You can't, you can't live in this tower for the rest of your life. That's cruel. I will get you down. I'll go back to my castle and I'll get a ladder so that you may climb down. <laughs> we'll do that. He climbs down from the tower, hops on his horse and rides off to his castle to get a ladder for the next day. But again, he didn't know that Gothel was watching because she knows all. She sees all. But she's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> And so what Gothel did was she said, Rapunzel, why don't we tonight, why, you're old enough now, you're 18. Why don't we go outside of the tower? Let's explore the forest. Why don't you, Rapunzel, if, you, if I hold on to your hair from the tower, you'll be able to climb down. And then you can go exploring. And then when you're tired, you can come back here and throw your hair up. And I'm sure I can figure out a way for you to pass it up to me. And Rapunzel like, yes, that would be amazing. I'd love to explore. And so she does this, that. Gothel's holding onto her hair. And as Rapunzel begins to climb out, she's about halfway down. 
And then Garthor just casts a spell and slices her hair in half. And she falls. And then she doesn't know what to do. Her hair is gone. She won't be able to get back into the tower and she begins to cry and cry and she runs into the forest. And then later that night, the prince comes back and shouts, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down their hair so I may climb their golden stairs. And then the hair falls back down as normal. And just as he reaches the top of the tower again, he, instead of seeing the beautiful blonde girl that he fell in love with, he saw a haggard old lady staring at him, laughing, who then slices the hair and he falls all the way down into a rose bush where his eyes get pierced out by thorns. And he's blinded. And he could hear Gothel laughing in, in her tower, knowing that he will never see this, her beautiful Rapunzel again. And so he, blinded, begins to stumble through the forest, fearing for his life, doesn't know what to do anymore. But he hears a familiar sound. But a very sad humming deep in the forest. And he uses that as a guide, he begins to follow the sound. Until eventually... He reaches forward and feels what feels like a, a shoulder. And it's Rapunzel. And then, filled with joy, Rapunzel begins to just cry all over the prince. And her tears fall onto his bleeding eyes. And then suddenly, they stop bleeding. And then suddenly, they're back to how they were. And suddenly, the prince can see again. He can see his beautiful Rapunzel. And the two of them can run off together. And hopefully live happily ever after. Aww. Hooray! <laughs> There's another version though, though, where uh, the prince he doesn't have the idea. Oh, ladders! Uh, and he keeps. Visiting. I added that in. <laughs> yeah, but he no, he keeps visiting on the thing, but he doesn't think. Oh, I should probably help this girl out of the thing, and she gets pregnant. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then the and then Rapun the Gothel's like, you put on a bit of weight, Rapunzel. Your your dress isn't fitting properly, and all your weight is in your stomach. Mm. And then she goes, hang on. Puts her ear and like, oh, heartbeat. Hmm, you're pregnant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I quite like. And also, like, he is probably the first man she has ever seen. Yeah, well, there's loads of stories about, you know, a woman <sighs> kept in a tower and the first man she sees, she goes, right, yeah. I have no idea about the opposite sex. Uh, I've had no sex ed, but I suddenly know what to do. Oh, mm. yeah. <laughs> I lie on my back and I think of England. <laughs> <laughs> and he will be England. <laughs> oh, I hate that phrase. <laughs> no, I know it's awful. Uh, but my story also involves uh, you know, miraculous pregnancies <laughs> because it is Sleeping Beauty. A classic. Uh, yeah. Now, l most people when they think of Sleeping Beauty, they don't think of it as a stepmother story. But there is a part two that the Grimm's brothers cut out, but it's included by Charles Perrault, French father of fairy tales, and also by I'm going to pronounce his name horribly wrong. Gambastia Bastelli. Can either of you... It's Italian. Oh, God. He was an early Italian collector of folk and fairy tales. Gambastista Basile? Yeah, that might be... Anyone speaks Italian and can like inform us on this, please do let us know. Gambastista Basile. Yeah. Well, in both... Perot's and that guy's versions. The in part two is included. Brothers Grimm, they included the part two as story of a mother-in-law, which they then cut from later editions because of the gore. But I'm going to tell you in all the gory details. Yes. <laughs> it starts, as everyone knows, with a birth. King and queen give birth to a beautiful baby girl, and they decide to have a great christening party. So they invite all the nobles of the land, and there are fairies in this land. And they know it's wrong to offend the fairy folk, so they invite them along. There are 13 fairies living in this kingdom. Unfortunately, they only have 12 gold plates. So they only invite 12 of the 13 fairies. Ooh. And Yeah. <laughs> and this is a grievous insult. Oh, oh dear. I'm stressed already. And this isn't, this is, this, this isn't just, you know, you haven't been invited to a, a christening. This is the representative of the kingdom shunning you. This is the kingdom shunning you. So she shows up. She's pissed. And she places a curse upon the baby. When this child grows to 16 years of age, she shall pluck her prick. 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 
Prick indeed. Pluck. We're just going to shout the word prick at everyone. Prick. <laughs> she shall prick her finger upon the spindle of a spinning wheel and fall into a death-like sleep from which she shall never wake. And she goes. Now the rest of the fairies, they try to work together and they are able to come up with a bit of a loophole. She will wake up, but not until a hundred years have passed. But because, you know, being asleep for a hundred years and then waking up to find everyone you've known is dead is a bit of a trauma, they place a spell upon the entire castle that when the princess falls asleep, everyone inside the castle walls will also slumber for the hundred years. So time goes by. The king, though, he's made it his mission that this won't happen. He will defy fate, which anyone who's read Oedipus knows is a bad idea. (laughs) He has every spinning wheel, every spindle forbidden from the castle. And his daughter grows up not knowing what spinning is. It's the day of her 16th birthday. And she's been told to, you know, just stay away, we're getting the party ready. It's going to be a lovely surprise. So she's wandering unattended. She walks into a room where there's an old woman sitting. This old woman has a strange contraption. It has a wheel that's spinning round and round, but it's, the machine isn't moving. And at one end, there's this strange thing. It's got a bobbin and then there's a point. And the princess comes up close and says, what's that? And the old woman says, oh, this is just my old spinning wheel. King tried to get rid of it, but oh, I couldn't be parted from my spinner. And the princess asks, can Shiva go? The old woman says yes, and she sits down next to her. She starts showing her how to spin the flax into thread. But as the princess is doing it, her finger slips, is pricked by the spindle, and she falls down as if dead. But so does everyone else. Everyone who was in that castle at that moment falls into a slumber. And they sleep, and they sleep, and thorns grow up around the castle, entwining it. Many adventurers come, trying to brave their way in to see what treasure lies within the castle, but the thorns impale each and every one of them, until a hundred years have passed, and a prince is riding by. He goes and he walks into the castle, and as he walks, each of those thorny branches bloom with a fresh, bright rose, which he takes as a good sign. He wanders through the castle and it is full of sleeping people. Sleeping people who as if they'd fallen asleep in the middle of their tasks. And he walks up a stair and he walks into a room. And there he sees the most beautiful woman he has ever seen. She's lying on the ground. He goes to rise her, rouse her, but though he shakes her, though he calls to her, she won't wake. But he is so overcome with passion, he cannot control himself. Yeah, this is a rape story. Oh yeah. no. Now when he is I take that back. Yeah. When he is finished, she's still not awake. And he picks her up and he finds a bed and he lays her out on the bed and then he goes on his merry way. But he has left the princess pregnant. And in her sleep she grows the cha- children in her womb, for she's pregnant with twins. She gives birth while still unconscious. Mm. But the babies, they seem unaffected by the spell. They're awake. They scrabble around looking to suckle. And one of them, the boy, for there's a boy and a girl, sucks upon his mother's finger, that finger that was pricked by the spinning wheel. And he pulls out the tiny, tiny piece of flax that was embedded there. And she wakes up. And so does the entire castle and the kingdom. And they're all very confused. And almost a year has passed since the prince first visited. And he comes back and he finds, oh, everyone's awake. This is interesting. And he finds that beautiful woman. She has now given birth to two babies. And he does a bit of mental calculations on the timeline and goes, Ah, these are probably my kids. Ah, I'm a dad. Ooh, uh, right. This is going to be a little bit problematic. But he decides, well, they're his children. He's going to do the honourable thing. He's going to take her back to his kingdom, back to his castle, and introduce them to his family. And this prince has a stepmother. A stepmother who married his father as part of a peace arrangement, for she is an ogress. Now, when she married, she agreed that she would give up her cannibalistic ways. But the prince happens to know ogres like babies. So he's a little bit nervous when he introduces his new wife, because he's married her by now, and the two young children. But the stepmother, the ogress, she puts on a grand show of sweet little things I could just eat them up not really no not really (laughs) figuratively I could figuratively eat them up Mm. but she is jealous 
For since her own husband died, she has been queen. She has been ruling the kingdom. Her stepson has only been the prince. But she now sees, ah, he's got a wife of his own. He's going to want to start having a bit more control, a bit more power. I am going to be usurped. She's not going to have that. So she arranges for the prince to go on a mission. A long, long diplomatic mission that will take him far away. And when she's given free reign of the castle, she decides she's going to indulge with some of her ogreish passions. She has a cook, her own personal cook. And one day when she's feeling a bit peckish, she tells this cook he's good to go and take the baby boy. Cook him up in a brown sauce and serve it to her. And if he doesn't, she'll have him, his wife, his children all burnt at the stake. So the cook goes off. He steals away the little baby boy, but he can't bring himself to kill him. So he kills a hare. He serves that instead in a brown sauce. And the sauce is so good that the ogress, she hardly notices that she's not eating human flesh. He hides the baby boy away with his wife. Next day, the ogress is again feeling a little bit peckish. She calls for a cook and says... Bring me the baby girl. Cook her in a white sauce. Again, the cook takes the baby. He cannot bring himself to kill her. So he hides her away with his wife. And this time he kills a baby goat. Serves it in a beautiful white sauce. The ogress is none the wiser. And then the king comes back. And the first thing he asks for are his children. Well, his stepmother puts on a grand show, weeping and wailing, saying she killed them. She kills the baby. She smothered them in their sleep. Oh, it's awful. Thank God you're back. And I've been ready to execute her. I've got a great pot ready. A great cauldron. <laughs> we'll boil her alive. And I'll eat the soup. <laughs> and the poor princess, she's brought out. She's brought to the, to the boiling pot. Her clothes are ripped from her. She's about to be executed. And she's weeping, begging her husband, telling him it's not true. It's not true. And then the cook shows up and says, it's not true. And the babies are fine. I am the one who was sent to kill them and cook them. I hid them away with my life. Look, see, they're grand. They're alive. Everything's perfect. And the, the king, for he has now decided he's not going to be a prince anymore. He's going to be a king. He turns to his mother-in-law and says, is this true? Now she has gone white with rage. She makes to lunge at the king, but she misses and she falls into the pot, the pot she had planned to kill the princess in, and she herself is boiled alive. Yeah, and I'm not sure why they decided to cut that out of the modern version of Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, it's also uh, very wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, there's a really good version of uh, Sleeping Beauty um, that Neil Gaiman did at the oh, sleeper and the, the spindle. The sleeper and the spindle. Oh, it's beautiful and it's beautifully illustrated. Yeah, um, it's kind of it, kind of it changes the story a bit, but it keeps that sort of um, like tragic element to it. Yeah, and the blood and the gore, and it also yeah. it, it that, plays on the idea of also Snow White as well, because there's mm, the whole way through yeah. there's dwarfs and there's an implication that the the queen involved was the princess in Snow White. Yeah, and sort of these witches and these hags and these evil stepmother creatures it's like with Neil, Neil Gaiman's one it's like he changes it but it's still quite true to the original but then I think about the uh, I don't Maleficent the Angelina yeah. Jolie movie yeah. where everything is tied with a neat little bow isn't mm. she great Maleficent and it's like oh why are I you know, doing I, this I thought that film was very pretty it's beautiful like it's visually it's stunning visually it's beautiful and I I, and like, I love bits like when her wings got cut off yeah, like I, that is like it's, it's intense but then I, the rest of the movie is I like yeah. I like bits of it. Yeah. But I don't like this thing of now. Oh, no, she was actually good. Yeah, she no, was misunderstood. No, vi- no villain can be a villain. They all have to have a, a backstory mm. explaining it. Mm. Because Maleficent, she declares herself in the original one, "I am the Empress of all evil." And, yeah. And there's that scene where she she's kidnapped Prince Philip and has him chained up in her sex dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and she's like, you know, she knows what she likes. Sort of looking at him, going, "Pretty boy, I want to play with you." The interesting <laughs> thing with the spindles actually is something that you, Emily, you brought up before as that like spinning was kind of like um representative of like autonomy for women because it yeah. was like it was a woman's craft and something that you could do at home yeah. and it was the only source of income for a lot of women. So taking that away from an entire kingdom, it's really yeah. like a Take mass that. disempowerment of yeah. The women. It's like a distaff is often seen as like, it's the equivalent to a sword, but it's more feminine. And the word spinster, it just means 
someone who spins, you could have male spinsters. Because it, it was, I mean, everyone had to hand spin their clothes, so if you had extra, you could sell it on and be financially independent. Uh, there is a an interesting translation of that story, the original one, the ending by Bruno Bethlehem uh, in his... Uh, the use of enchantment thing. He goes through like a sort of Freudian psychoanalysis of mm-hmm. various things. And his whole thing is that fairy tales are important to children because it helps them work through their various, you know, various traumas and issues that come up in your life. But you can use the story to sort of mediate your pain and find a, a resolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his thing about Cinder- uh, Cinderella, no, sorry, Sleeping Beauty, is that it's, you know, when you sort of adolescence, they want to sort of spend time on themselves, they become insular mm-hmm. and looking mm-hmm. in. And his thing is that that is what the sleep is. It's that adolescent phase of not participating in external life, being very internal. And his thing is that she goes through all these things and it's only when she has her children that she wakes up, Mm. that she sort of comes to herself. Uh, And that can be quite a sort of a sexist thing, that the only thing that gives a woman meaning is birth. Mm. But... If you look at it as, it's not that she's given birth, she's become a mother, but that she has created something. Mm. These are her own creations. This is something she has made. That can also link into the idea of the spindle and this being something a woman can make and the overprotective parents keeping her from creation, from being able to make her own things, from adult autonomy, adult responsibility. Which is yeah. an interesting way to look at the story. Mm. And the whole thing of spindles and spinsters. Yeah, it is incredibly problematic um especially with the prince Um, it's i find a lot of the times the princes in the stories tend to be like ciphers more than characters they don't really do much except show up and save the day looking at most of the classic disney cartoons like the princes are so it's boring there's nothing interesting about them especially in little mermaid like it's just like i love her at the end i am the prince no prince eric he he rose (laughs) i am handsome he can ride and he has a lovely dog and that I'm that, also that is his personality. <laughs> his personality like, is he has a dog. Even Cinderella in the, the yeah. Disney version, he's just called Prince Charming. I think he only says like two words. Like, stop, yeah. wait. Well, it's actually Gaz, this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, Cinderella 2, awful. Cinderella 3, I've not seen it, but I've seen clips of the prince who like talks and he's yeah. very charismatic I, and I've, very interesting. And I'm like, what, I've heard a prequel? He's yeah. amazing. I've heard that the sequel, the sequel, I've seen the sequel, it's awful. It was like they wanted to make a TV series. A Twist in Time is going to be for a Disney sequel very good yeah. and I'm like okay because mm-hmm. I used to watch all the sequels all the time when I was young I know I was so disappointed with them like Beauty and the Beast is my favourite yeah. and then I saw the Disney <laughs> sequel to it and it's like no stop it stop yeah. it stop it no, stop it you've destroyed that, the relationship I think Hunchback in Notre Dame is the most painful one no no oh, no yeah. Fox and the Hound where they make oh. a band <laughs> <laughs> sing a song or two actually so one that isn't bad is the Pocahontas one yeah, because they don't have her end up with John Smith. I'm not yeah. I mean, but, Pocahontas. It has with Mel Gibson. Actually, <laughs> does Mel Gibson voice in Pocahontas? In the original, yeah. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. he does in the original, but is he in the sequel? I don't know. Yeah, but it's Isn't Christian Bale also in it. Sorry, I, I don't. Christian Bale's character <laughs> he plays isn't like the in the sequel. Character. Yeah, he's, he's in something. Yeah, he's in the psych. He is the sidekick in Pocahontas, the John Smith psychic. Because everyone yeah, in that film Thomas. has a sidekick. Yes, 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 yes. Everybody has both a eyes yes, open. Yes. Guy, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pocahontas, it's got some good music, but it's very problematic. Oh, that's oh, yeah. super yeah. problematic. The the sequel is better. Isn't it about colonization? Yeah. I've never seen it. The they stayed very historically so. accurate with the sequel. Well, well, more historically accurate. Like well, for a Disney film, yeah, like she doesn't die of smallpox in the end. Mm. Yeah, like Hunchback Sorry. and Notre Dame is a happy ending in Disney. And yeah. <laughs> I know, no. but Hunchback and Notre Dame is still the amazing. Is beautiful on the inside. Oh, yeah. The sequel is so bad, oh. Oh. <laughs> so ugly. But to continue our tangent and go back, mm-hmm. Prince Philip in Sleeping Beauty has a character. Yeah. And he does have... Sleeping Beauty has no oh, yeah. character in that. She just... She barely... Ah, oh, la, 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 I'm a pretty She, she, ba- she barely says anything. And that is by Tchaikovsky, so Disney cannot yeah. sue us. Actually, I I actually did really like that about the Sleeping Beauty film, is that they used the ballet music, yeah. but it always annoyed me that... The, the, the cat, the... Uh, sorry, Maleficent's music. This, you just remind me. Maleficent's music is the cat it's the, sequence? Yeah, the, it's... Yeah. it's Part of the entertainment. Yeah, that would be funny. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's um, that one. Puss in Boots and the White Cat. Yeah. That's the name of the. But it's just like yeah, 
It's really creepy, it but when you see it in concert with the ballet, it's yeah. really charming and cute. Oh, really? And yeah. quite funny as well. Because there's the cat going, like, nee, doing some nee, movement nee, nee, on a podcast. Nee, 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 nee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the actual, it's like, in... Jaws, almost. Yeah, in the in the ballet, the Maleficent music is a lot more kind of sinister, I find, than that. More sinister than that? That is pretty sinister. Yeah, but it's kind of, like, quietly, rumblingly sinister. Yeah. I, like, yeah. kind of, like, it. you'd have to hear it, too, but yeah. Yeah. Right. She oh. does rhyme you with you. Just the, uh, no, once. Da, 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 once. Only this once. That one. I could never. What? Uh, during, I'm um, sorry. Uh, uh, I loved song. you at once the, the way, way I did once. Yeah, that one. That just annoys me so much whenever I hear it now. I'm like, oh, uh, oh well. someone can't write music. <laughs> so they're going to take Tchaikovsky. Yeah, well. I mean, sorry, that was. If, that you're gonna, if you're going to steal, steal from the Greeks. Yeah. Well, back to stepmothers, Anya. <laughs> yeah, so. And a lot of them, they were the original mothers. Actually, in that version, in some of the versions, it's not his stepmother, it's his wife. Oh! Which you can see why they changed it, because they didn't want the prince being a bigamist. Controversial! <laughs> I know. Polyamory can work, but, you know, not when you're lying to one person about it. Mm. Yeah, then it's just being a dick. Yeah. 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 And not when you rape someone while they're unconscious. Yeah, yeah that, that, that prince does not come off well in any version of that no, story. I mean, even when they, like, downplayed it to a kiss, it's still... It, yeah, yeah. That, that is still assault. She she's, did not consent to that kiss, man. Also, she's 16. Yeah. Yeah. She's a child. Yeah. Yeah, like, someone comes into your room, middle of the night, you're asleep, kisses you. Like, you may be freak out about it. She's kind of very calm about this The way they thing. animated as well, like, where it's, she's painted, but just her eyes are animated. Yeah. And it's like, ugh, yeah, this it's looks so creepy. weird. Yeah. But then very slowly, like, every mm-hmm. single frame you can see, oh, freaks me out. <laughs> yeah, but the stepmother, stepmothers are interesting in stories, especially when you look at how they've moved from a stepmother to a biological mother, or, sorry, a biological mother to a stepmother. Mm. Like, uh, blah, 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 blah. Hansel and Gretel. Dads. Yeah, so Hansel and Gretel. Hansel and Gretel. It's originally it's the biological mother, but and where? actually originally both parents are up on the yeah. Let's chuck our kids out because they're mm. starving. Yeah, they're starving. It's a time of famine. Yeah, they cannot feed their children, and they don't want to accidentally cannibalize them. Yeah, which shows up a lot in fairy tales. This fear mm. of cannibalism and starvation. Yeah, with Hansel and Gretel, there's sort of a almost a doubling between the mother slash stepmother and the witch. Because when they go mm. back to the their father, the mother-stepmother figure seems to have vanished and they've killed the witch. And in a lot of things, uh, like plays and things, they'll be played by the same actress or same actor mm. if they're doing it in yeah. drag. So there's sort of this doubling. And again, to go back to Bruno Bethlehem, he has it like this whole thing of like the witch being the smothering mother, the mother who wants to keep the child locked together while the stepmother is the one who's trying to push them out of the nest too early. Mm. And this sort of almost inversion of what a bad mother can be. Yeah, I think that um, a lot of the times, um, like, the fathers are never really acknowledged yeah, within these. They're either absent, dead, or oblivious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Though we went and saw, in Smock Alley, they did a production of Cinderella, mm. which they were calling the Grim Cinderella, but wasn't it the was Grim Cinderella. The Grim it was... Tale of Cinderella. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It wasn't exactly the Grimm's version, but it was... There's an agrim. Yeah, no one got their eyes pecked out by birds. Aww. But there was a magic tree. Yeah, they did keep them out. It was a lot closer than most tellings of yeah. Cinderella. Well, on lines of Into the Woods. Yeah, a think. little bit Into the Woods, yeah. But I didn't that, see that production. In that, the father, he is totally aware of what's mm-hmm. going on and the abuse, but he has sort of stopped loving his child. And the they sort of try to frame it and explain it as, oh, he was so brokenhearted when his wife died, he couldn't stand the thing that remembered Reminded him of her. But then it could also be he could be a bit of a prick. Mm. He should be on the end of a spinning wheel. Yeah. It was also interesting with that production how they shifted the focus away from, like, she ends up with a prince and happily ever yeah. after and that um, there's a lot more focus on Cinderella finding her own autonomy and making yeah. her own choices to get out of her situation. Um, which, like, you don't often see. It's often, like women waiting for a saviour to mm. come along. Um, and there's starting to be like more of a focus within tellings of fairy tales of... Um, focus on the female at I saw in yeah. Urban Outfitters the other day, they have a book that they're saying that's just, it's just called, in this story, The Princess Saves Herself. I don't know what it's about, but just that title alone mm. is pretty cool. Yeah. 
Um, there's a brilliant part that panic comic uh, called uh, I think it's called Princess Princess. Oh, I think was Alex talking about it a while ago. Yeah. Um. Well, it's basically like an all princesses story of like kind of the princess in the tower, then a princess comes and saves mm. her, and um, it's just, it's fantastic and. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's how in a lot of tales sometimes the princess does have more autonomy, or there is more female autonomy, and then as it's retold, it's sort of shaped to fit the idea of what a woman should be and what a man should be, and the woman should be passive, and the man should be active, which is why in some ways Sleeping Beauty is Grimm's ideal of a princess. She mm. doesn't speak. She sleeps. She only acts when she is acted upon. She is a sexual object. Yeah. And there's like a little bit of necrophilia going on. Yeah. <laughs> the the Grimms, they toned it down. It's just it's just a kiss. It's still mm. a non consensual kiss, but it's a kiss rather than an impregnation. Yeah. It was only a kiss. How did it end up like this? Sorry. <laughs> <I'm tired. laughs> it made sense in my head and it didn't yeah. out of my mouth. Well oh that's an interesting way to look at that song. Didn't think about that. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, if any stepmothers or stepchildren are listening, there's nothing. Being a stepmother doesn't make you evil, and it doesn't make you less of a parent yeah. as well. Yeah, it's like caring for a child regardless of your biological relationship to them. Hmm. That's amazing. Two thumbs up to you. I couldn't do it. Good for you. Hmm. Yeah. Children are scary. And sticky. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'll stick to dogs. Yeah. Step parenting is like yeah. one of the hardest things and I, I imagine, yeah. absolutely admire anyone who can do it. Who can step into that role. Yeah. Step into that role. Oh hey. God, no. <laughs> Family, please. No. All right, all right, all right. All right sorry. Mm. I won't make jokes. <laughs> yeah, but like kudos to all the stepmoms and the stepdads out yeah. there and blended families and because yeah. you are all amazing. Yeah, keep doing the good job. Keep keep fighting the good fight. Hmm. Raising good people. We need more good people in this world. Make, yeah. Yeah. So thanks for your part of it. It's kind of the big takeaway from this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. you, we, we need good people because necrophilia and um, cannibalism <laughs> is not a good way to be. Oh, but we do yeah, not. Maybe don't do that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We recommend not. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to end it there. Thank you for listening. I have been Emily Collins. I've been Shanani Nulon. And I've been Grania Holmes Blumenthal. Uh, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. Or we'll work out a sign out at some stage.